The following program is paid programming. The views expressed on the following program are those of its hosts and participants, and nowhere reflect those of the ownership, staff, or advertisers of WNRI. Welcome to Chat Chat, the people's sports talk radio show on WNRI, with your host, Bradley Shatraw. And we are back with another week of the Shot Chat Radio Show here on WNRI. And on Thursday, the Patriots beat the Falcons 25-0, came away with a shutout and their fourth consecutive victory. Yesterday, the Kansas City Chiefs narrowly, I shouldn't say narrowly, but did overcome the Dallas Cowboys in what most expected to be the game of the week, the shootout of the week. Not quite. It was a 19-9 win by the Kansas City Chiefs. And the Laker game last night, there was mayhem that broke out after LeBron James struck Isaiah Stewart. After they were kind of battling for position on a rebound and all heck broke loose after that, Stewart reacted in quite the manner and it ended up being just a whole lot going on. And then I'll finish off with the Red Sox picking up Alex Cora's option for the next two seasons. But let's get right to the New England Patriots because they are now 7-4. and four. And with the Buffalo Bills' loss yesterday, they actually now hold the number one seed in the AFC East. And it's time to admit it. This is a good football team. There's no way around it. And... I mean, they haven't had the greatest opponents over this win stretch, but they don't choose their schedule. I mean, I can't sit up here and fault them for taking care of business against teams that just aren't all that great. And it's not like they've, you know, just barely snuck by. I mean, they've dominated most of these opponents that they've had over the last four-game stretch. So, to me, I mean, there's just no way around it. They are a good team. And they've won four straight. But I will say the next four are a big test, and it's not going to be necessarily as big of a test as I originally thought when I looked at this four-game stretch a little bit earlier as kind of some of these teams have fallen out or not been necessarily as good as expected. But they've got the Tennessee Titans next week. And now the Titans did just lose, I mean, to the Texans, and they have won two games all year. That's the Houston Texans. So the Titans were just not able to win that game. It was very a weird game. The weather was odd, but they couldn't get anything going. Uh, they have some injuries. Obviously, Derrick Henry's not there. Julio Jones isn't there. A.J. Brown also went down, but still, they have to be able to take care of business against a team like the Texans, and they were not able to do that. The Patriots will also have 10 days to prepare for this game, as they did play on Thursday. Now, the Titans are going to be without their top two wide receivers and Derrick Henry. A.J. Brown I think most people expect him not to play. Julio Jones is not expected to play either. And obviously, Derrick Henry is also out. So the Patriots should win this game. I mean, they're going to be walking into a situation here where it could be wide receivers three, four, five as this team's kind of wide receiving core where at the beginning of the year, it seemed like they were going to have a really, really good wide receiving core. And now that's taken out of it. Obviously, the heart and soul of their offense is taken out of it and Derrick Henry and Let's call it what it is. The Patriots should win this game on Sunday. Now, they will also, after that, take on the Buffalo Bills, who I've been confident in all year. 
But yesterday, they got blown out by the Indianapolis Colts, 41-15. to I mean, the Bills have also lost to the Jags. That was just a few weeks ago. They've only won two games all year. And their O-line is severely struggling. And I'm, I'm sure Jamal Harris will give us a better breakdown when he calls in in a little while, as I assume he probably will. But it's not like that's a game where, you know, the Bills have the ultimate edge. It doesn't really seem that way anymore. And then they get a bye. So they'll kind of have a two-week stretch there to prepare for the Indianapolis Colts. Now, Indy did have their best game of the season yesterday. I thought that was pretty—I mean, that was their best showing all season. They started this season quite slow, but they are now 5-1 and one in their last six. So, surprisingly enough— That Colts game might be New England's biggest test over these next four games because after that, they will face the Bills for a second time. And it's tough to win two divisional games. So depending on the first, that could turn into the toughest game here. We don't know. Uh, If they're able to sneak out a win in that first Bills game, I'm sure it will be mighty tough to get a second one. But, I mean, overall, these next four games are where we find out how good of a team they really are. Just a week ago, I've said I expected a, a two and two record. I mean, that's what I would have said. I would have said probably two and two in those four. But now, I mean, after what we saw yesterday and the injuries that I talked about to Tennessee, they can go four and oh, make no mistake about it. I mean, the defense has been awesome all year for this team. The offense has been up and down, but good enough to win games. The Patriots have a chance to get to. 11-4 and four before their final two games of the season. And who are their final two games of the season, you ask? The Jacksonville Jaguars, who are currently 2-8, and eight, and the Miami Dolphins, who are currently 4-7. and seven. I mean, listen, I've been very objective about this team all year. I mean, for a while, I refused to call them a good team because they began the season 2-4. and four. But now there is no denying, I mean, they can win the AFC East. Heck, if they get through these next four games 3-1 and one at worst... They should be an 11-12 to win football team. At the rate the AFC is at, that could be good enough for a first-round buy. And I know it seems like I'm jumping the gun here, but due to the Patriots getting to the 7-4 and mark here through 11 games, the expectations now rise. It's, it, they're not just this cute story anymore. I mean, the expectations are now there. You look at the landscape of the AFC, and there's really only one team I would fear, and that's the Kansas City Chiefs, and I'll, I'll touch on them in a little while. But outside of that, tell me which top AFC team the Patriots can't go toe-to-toe with. I just talked about the Titans, Bills, and Colts being teams that are anything but unbeatable. The Ravens had also, they've had to make multiple double-digit comebacks this season. They also lost to Miami last Thursday, who had two wins at the time. The Patriots literally already beat the L.A. Chargers. So, I mean, I'll preface this with an if, but I mean it. If, the, if New England comes out of the next four games three and one or better, the AFC Championship should become the expectation. And yeah, that's coming from a guy who just last week said they were an average team. They are not. They are a good team. The reason I say it should be the expectation is because they're as good as anyone else right now in the AFC. I mean, you look around, like I just said, they're as good as anyone else. If anything, they've only lost to one bad team all year, and it was week one versus the Miami Dolphins. This is a much different team than the one we saw in that first week. That was Mac Jones' first NFL start. I still believe in the Bills, and I've hopped back on the Chiefs bandwagon, but even though those two teams are far from perfect, the more the season continues, the more the Patriots' chances of making a run here improve. I'm not ready to anoint them going to the AFC Championship game, but I am saying they are getting there based on their play and overall their opponents in the AFC. 
I said this last week and I'll say it again. I was rock on I was wrong on Mac Jones. The Patriots have found their QB of the future in him. He fits right into their system. He's bought into their system and they're slowly building him up. I mean, you can see the improvements nearly on a weekly basis it seems. He may not be the main piece yet, but I mean, I think their defense and their running game probably is, but if he continues to improve the way he has, he could definitely be the main piece down the road. And the final thing about New England is Bill Belichick deserves a ton of credit here. They started slow and it looked ugly. I mean, it was not a good look for Bill at the beginning of this season. Everyone talked about how the first month of the season is always rocky for New England. You know, I don't want to buy into that because this isn't the Brady-led Patriots. This is not the same squad. But they've made a typical Patriots run here over the last four weeks. You know, after that first month of kind of struggles there, even more so than the first month. Bill has slowly built Mac Jones into being able to seamlessly run this offense, and let's call it what it is. He's gotten this team back to looking like the Patriots. And now the question is, can they finish the season like the Patriots we have all been used to over the last decade? I've been blown away with the level in which they continue to play at. I mean, it's not like they went into the Falcons game and barely snuck that out. I mean, they made no mistake about it. They dominated that game. The game before, they did the same exact thing. It's not like they're, you know, letting teams hang around. They're, they're really not. And it's been quite impressive, but it's starting to get to a point where now the expectations have to go up. They're not just a cute story anymore. Bill Belichick spent all that money in free agency to bring in multiple guys that have made an effect here. Hunter Henry's really become a red zone target for Mac Jones and really probably... I don't know, it's tough to, to, to kind of say, but one of his favorite targets, if not his favorite. You look at Matt Judon, I mean, he's been incredible for the defense. If anything, he seems like he's been the leader of the defense. I mean, he is the guy that goes out there and has really played well week in and week out for them. So you saw the two and four to start the first six, and it was easy to say, well, oh man, they spent all this money and it's still not making a difference. Everybody hops on the, the Tom Brady, well, it was all Tom and, and no Bill. Well, guess what? I mean, they're right back in contention here. And like I'm saying about the AFC, there's, it's not insane to suggest that they could potentially make a run here. And I was, I was trying not to say that. I was trying to stay off of that because I didn't want to buy into it because of the opponents over the last four. And, and just I, I didn't want to jump the gun. But now we're here and it's, it, it's, it's hard to it's hard to keep deflecting. They're a good team, and with the way the AFC looks, they they got a chance. They really have a chance. Time to pay a few bills, so hang tight with more Shat Chat with Bradley Shatraw on WNRI. If you live in North Smithfield, Woonsocket, or Barville and need a landscaper for this summer, Nick Dybala and 3D Lawn Care can take care of all your needs. 3D is known for their quality lawn care and specializes in hardscaping work as well. Call Nick to schedule a quote at 401-692-1631. Let them take care of your landscaping needs so you have more time to do what you enjoy. 
Groupan.com is a website designed to cater towards the sports fan who wants more than just the traditional sports articles. They post articles about video games, sports cards, and the latest topics from various writers from southern New England. They're active on social media with videos from a list of analysts that includes me, ShotJet host Bradley Shatraw. Visit CruelFan.com to get the full cruel fan experience you expect from those who know sports. Sports news, opinions, what's yours? Do you need a scratch or dent taken out of the body of your car? Visit Cody Auto Body in North Smithfield. It is located right next to Little General at 716 St. Paul Street. And with their state-of-the-art equipment and DuPont paints, owner Mike Cody will take care of all your needs. Give them a call today at 401-762-2883 or go in and talk to Mike directly. He has taken care of my car for years and I've never once been disappointed. You can visit their page on Yelp to get more information. Alrighty, we are back here with the Shot Shot Radio Show on WNRI. Call into the show at 401-766-1380 or 401-769-0600. Let me know what you think about the Patriots. Let me know what you think about my opinion on the Patriots. I mean, I've finally taken that next step. I'm not going to continue to call them an average football team when they're very clearly a good one. And it, it seems as though... Week in and week out, they continue to prove that. And the way, I mean, basically on what I just said, it's looking at the rest of the AFC, a lot of teams are shaky there. But let's move to an AFC versus NFC clash that happened yesterday, and that was the Chiefs beating the Cowboys 19-9. to And the Chiefs have now quietly won four straight games. And last week I talked about how it seemed like they may have gotten their swagger back. And last night, not quite. They started hot, and it seemed like, oh, man, here they come. I mean, they're going to continue to prove, all right, we're back. This is, this is the Chiefs that, that go, roll in there, shoot out every game, and they find ways to win high-scoring games. But they really cooled off as the game went on. I mean, Mahomes failed to throw a TD, and the only one was a rushing touchdown by Travis Kelsey. Where there was actually a Clyde Edwards-Alaire as well. And Kansas City won an ugly game. I mean, which you have to do as a great team, but... The only thing is that as much as I want to call them a great team, I want to say they're fully back. Kansas City is the team to beat. We don't know that. I mean, you got to think about this four-game winning streak they're on. And again, they don't choose their opponents either. But this is a little bit different than what I was saying about the Patriots. This four-game winning streak they're on, they beat the Giants without Saquon Barkley. And they narrowly squeaked it out by a field goal. After that, they beat the Packers without Aaron Rodgers. And that was by a single touchdown. They smacked the Raiders in a week where Vegas had just released Henry Ruggs. And the news had come out about what he did. And really in a heavy situation here, probably going to jail. I mean, there was turmoil the entire week for Vegas there. So you could see how maybe their head wasn't all the way in it during the week. And yesterday they beat the Cowboys without five of Dallas's best players. So... I want to be up here yelling, the Chiefs are back, they're back, and I can't do that. The more I think on it, the more I'm just not so sure. Patrick Mahomes yesterday went 27 for 37. He threw for 260 yards, did not have a touchdown, and threw an interception. He also had a fumble. That's against the Cowboys without their two best pass rushers. I mean, Tank Lawrence and Randy Gregory were not in that game. 
Based on the AFC, I do still obviously think KC are contenders. And, I mean, I absolutely think they're contenders. But would I be shocked if they got beaten in the playoffs? I mean, not right now, no. I mean, they still have to prove they can put together dominant performances consistently like they used to until I'm ready to anoint them. They're fully back. The Chiefs are here. And it, it just it doesn't feel that way right now, especially after yesterday. It started to feel a little bit like that after the Monday game. I mean, they were going up and down the field. There was nothing you could do. Mahomes was all the way on. I mean, he was he was really passing the ball well. But then they walked into Dallas, and, and I'm, I'm back to where I was the week before that. I mean, as for the Cowboys, it's really tough to be overwhelmingly upset about yesterday's loss because, yes, the O-line was not good. Yes, Dak Prescott was off. Yes, their wide receivers dropped multiple big plays, not just one. And yes, Ezekiel Elliott could not get anything going in the run game. That happens when you're shorthanded the way they were. Amari Cooper was out. Tyron Smith was out. C.D. Lamb ended up leaving the game before the half with a concussion. I mean, C.D. started the game, but he just was not able to finish because of that play before the half. And Amari Cooper has been Dak's favorite target for three years now. You can't put a stamp on what he means to the passing game. When they're replaced by Cedric Wilson and Noah Brown, I mean, yeah, that, that production drops. The Chiefs' defense is not good, so the Cowboys absolutely should have been better. I'm not trying to say that yesterday was was all sunshine and roses because it was not. Dak Prescott did not play well. I, I already addressed that. And the offense could not get anything going against what a lot of people would consider to be a bad defense. But without three of their most important offensive pieces, I can live with a bad night. I, I can live with that. The story of the night for Dallas was their defense. I mean, they only allowed three second-half points. They continued to come up with stops and get the ball back to their offense. They had some really big stops on third down. They came up with a couple of huge turnovers that Dallas was only able to get three points out of, but they were big turnovers. They had the potential to really make a difference in the game. Obviously, the offense wasn't able to capitalize on that, but it's still worth noting that the defense were able to go out and, and cause those turnovers, get the ball back to their offense. And that was all without Demarcus Lawrence and Randy Gregory, which I just said. I mean, they're two of their best pass rushers. Randy Gregory, when he is healthy, is a problem. I mean, there were so many instances where Kansas City should have ran away with this game, but the Cowboys' defense was just resilient all night. So when you look at it for what it truly is outside of a loss to the Chiefs, I mean, they struggled offensively without their top two wide receivers and their starting left tackle. Big surprise. The defense kept them in the game the whole night without two of their best pass rushers. I mean, I come away from that game still feeling very good about the Cowboys. They are still Super Bowl contenders. Nothing has changed. I mean, you, you don't come away thinking, ah, well, that shows who they are. That's, that, that, that's just who the Dallas Cowboys are. I mean, that, that's not how I felt. I saw some of that on social media, and I can't relate. If they were even somewhat healthy in that game, then, yeah, I would feel much different. I mean, then you'd be looking at it like, what the heck happened here? But it was a gutsy performance without a lot of their roster. Five guys is a lot on an NFL roster. Five starters, two of which are your main pieces in the passing game. Dak Prescott has to bounce back versus the Raiders on Thanksgiving, though. I will say that. There's, there's no more of the injury excuses or any of that on Thanksgiving. That is a big game for Dak Prescott. That is a big game for the Dallas Cowboys because, I mean, I don't know about the statuses of Tyron Smith, Lawrence, or Gregory. I do think they're probably still going to be without CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper. I mean, barring an unforeseen change in events there, 
But the Raiders are not nearly as good as the Chiefs. They are trending downward. And there is just no injury excuse this Thursday. Dallas needs a win regardless of who is out there. Yesterday was no big deal because of the circumstances of the game. But Thanksgiving, make no mistake about it, is a test that Dak Prescott needs to pass. He cannot put up another losing performance. Dak needs to get this team back on track and steal a win if he's shorthanded or not. I think he can, but we're going to have to see here because there's there's no predicting the way in which this offense is going to look. There's no predicting the way in which they are going to trend towards. Now, I will say, you got to think you're going to get a heavy dose of Ezekiel Elliott. You got to think, and, and I'm sure the Raiders will be prepared for that and, and trying to stop that. But the offensive line has to be better, and the running game has to get going if they are indeed down those two stars in their offense. I mean, Michael Gallup was good. He had a play early in the game that Dak really missed him on that was just, I mean, he ran the route like a number one would have. I mean, that's as open as Amari would have been or, or C.D. Lem, anybody. Michael Gallup was wide open. It probably was a touchdown, if not a, a 50, 60-yard game down the field, and Dak Prescott just did not hit him in stride. It was not a good throw. That was one of their better chances of the entire game to really kind of swing the momentum in their direction. There was a few Cedric Wilson drops that were really tough to handle and a Noah Brown drop as well. But it's, it's not like Dak Prescott went out there and, and was throwing dimes and people were dropping them left and right. Yes, there was some drops, but there was also some crucial missed passes. I just don't think they're going to go pass heavy against the Raiders. I think it, it, it would be... It just wouldn't make a lot of sense. You have Ezekiel Elliott healthy. You have Tony Pollard healthy. Obviously, Zeke kind of got his ankle twisted, but he came back in that game. He will be fine with the week's rest. So you got to hammer the run. You got to trust this defense. I mean, after what they did against Kansas City, how can you not? You got you got to play smash mouth football. You got to kind of simplify the game plan and kind of come back into your shell a little bit and just squeak out a gutsy win if you do walk into that as shorthanded as you were in this Chiefs game. So... I'm not going to sit up here and crush the Cowboys for losing to a high-powered offense when their defense kept them in the game the entire second half and they were so short-handed. But now it's one of those things where you can't let this spiral out of control. You can't you can't let this become reoccurring. And because against the Raiders, I don't think anybody's going to sit up there and say, "Oh, they were missing all these pieces." That that, that isn't an excuse because the Raiders are viewed as a much lesser opponent than the Dallas Cowboys. This is a tough stretch for Dallas. I think it's something like three games in 12 days or, or, or something like that. So it, it's a tough stretch. Being shorthanded like this is not ideal. But you look over at what Philadelphia was able to do. They were able to, to really get a nice win. I believe it was against the Saints yesterday, if, if I have that correctly. Jalen Hurts looked awesome. Three rushing touchdowns. They're now at five and six. And all of a sudden, they're, they're right back in the mix of things here. I, I mean, Dallas still has a comfortable lead, but... It could really change very quickly because of the amount of games they have in such a short period of time. It's going to get interesting. It's going to get very interesting in the NFC East if the Eagles are continue to be able to, I mean, put together a performance like they did against the Saints yesterday. That was it was it was impressive, and it, and it shows that the Eagles are getting better. They are trending in the right direction after a, a pretty rough start. And I'm happy for Jalen Hurts there. I think he's weighted a lot of the blame for no reason. I actually think it, it would go much worse without Jalen Hurts as their starter, but. Obviously, it's always going to get the blame's always going to get put on the quarterback. But at the end of the day, Dallas can't let this continue to spiral. They, they got to get back to who they are. And if they're not at full strength, 
they have enough pieces to find ways to win. I don't think the offensive line plays as poorly as they did yesterday. I mean, you got to chalk it up to just one of those days. I mean, when Zach Morrison, when Zach Martin is letting up a sack, that's when you got to sit there and say, you know what, just not our day. Because that happens once in, in two years. I mean, Zach Martin is that good. The Cowboys offensive line is that good. They had a bad day. They flat out had a bad day, which was kind of surprising when you really looked at the fact that it wasn't necessarily against a, 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 a you know, bone-chillingly scary pass rush. It just wasn't. Now, I do have a call, so we will get to that. Welcome to Shot Chat. What's going on, Shad? It's Jamal. Hey, Jamal. How you doing? Um, you know, I'm, I'm okay. Before we talk about, you know, that travesty, which is the NFL, might as well talk some NBA. Uh, you know, the Kings return. How's it looking? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I Obviously, the Celtics game was, was brutal, and it, it, it did not look good. Um, but yesterday was was weird because he leaves the game and you think it's over and all of a sudden they come storming back. Russell Westbrook has a good day. Anthony Davis has a good day. Now, obviously, it's the Droit Pistons. They had the number one pick. They are not a great team. But looking at the Lakers, it's hopefully they can get some momentum built off of last night. Um, I mean, I don't think that's the reason why LeBron did it like some people on Twitter are suggesting. But it was, it was a weird play and it, ultimately they come out with the win, but it's not looking any better. I mean, it's, it's not like they've turned it around with LeBron being back. I'm gonna, I mean, you got to give him about two weeks, but after that, you kind of got to call it what it is. Yeah, I was kind of surprised Detroit was in um, firm control of that game. You know, I kind of saw the altercation on Twitter, and I popped open ESPN, and they were up like 11 points. I'm like, oh, kind of shocking. Uh, but they did end up pulling that out, so they just kind of a good win. Maybe this kind of momentum those are the kind of propelled on ahead. You know, the Boston game, it was looking good. You know, LeBron, you know, looked good. We'll see if that could, you know, keep up. Um, and then that game kind of got away with them. Jason Tatum kind of came on. Then they have to do more with, you know, Boston kind of, you know, gelling as a team, and, you know, that maybe they, you know, will be a... Um, a consistent contender for the East this year. We'll just have to see how that goes. But, um, you know, this is a pretty good momentum for the Lakers, I would say, and, you know, we'll see if that can continue. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. I, I definitely think it, it trends things in the, the right direction. And it's one of those things where the incident, you know, Isaiah Stewart kind of freaking out like that and, and kind of the way it, it happened, there was a lot of guys that were kind of banding together as a team, kind of defending LeBron in a sense. And not that, you know, what he did didn't warrant the, re- warrant the reaction that Stewart gave. It's just one of those things where maybe this kind of brings them together as a team and they can move forward as kind of a unit here and, and keep it rolling. I mean, they're going to see Detroit in a week, so that should be an interesting game uh, after kind of what happened yesterday. But overall, it's it's really one of those things where it's a, it's a lack of energy at times. You, you see guys get really agitated with each other, which is not good because I've seen that on LeBron-led teams multiple times before, and it never really results very well. Most of the time, it results in some guys being traded at the deadline. I also think we've seen some poor body language from Anthony Davis at some of the things that Russell Westbrook has done while he's out there on the floor, so I question how he feels about playing with Russ because it's just, you look at his face sometimes, and he almost looks like he's confused at the way in which Russell Westbrook is playing. But overall, it's, it, I, I don't know how to explain what's going on here. They have all the talent in the world. Yes, they're old, but it's not, it's not like, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know, Jamal. I don't, I, don't, I don't have an answer for you, to be honest with you. It, it seems like they're just a disappointment at the moment. I haven't watched them consistently enough to give a great educated-based answer, but my base, it just seems like basically an energy question for me from what I've been able to watch them lately. They look so good. 
and so great in these first quarters, going to the second quarter, where they kind of they're firmly in control of the game or whatever. They're playing solid defense, and you know, it's it just the energy just wears down. I don't I don't know if the problem is just that simple as they just got to be more consistent to have more energy, but it truly just seems like that for me. Like they were in complete control of that ball the game, then I halftime they're up and I'm like oh wow no yeah no I would have to agree with you and I mean I still have a ton of questions about Russell Westbrook's fit with these two stars I mean I get it's a big name and it's a very talented guy but it seems as though when all three of them are on the floor exactly kind of how I felt when I heard about the news of him being traded is true it just it doesn't make a lot of sense it's not like Russell Westbrook is a good off the ball player who's going to knock down the threes that he's given and he needs the ball in his hands and I mean let's be honest their best when LeBron James has the ball in his hands. And like I said, you see some aggravation out of Anthony Davis. It, it's been a wild ride. I have my questions about the fit of Russell Westbrook. But, I mean, they're locked into him. I mean, I, I've, I've seen some talk. I've even kind of been talking. Maybe they, they look to trade him towards the deadline or something, but they just can't with that contract. They have made a, a commitment here, and they're going to have to figure it out with these three stars. I don't know if they're going to maybe move on from some role players at some point, but nine and nine through 18 games is not what we expected from the Lakers and the Boston game was kind of a wake-up call to how they are just not playing good basketball at the moment yeah it's definitely uh you know definitely contrasting play styles when they um when that news first came out and kind of seeing that play out here and you know we're definitely seeing the age kind of play out here but yeah it's good that they kind of have a sense of urgency too I would say uh, compared to last year was kind of like you know it doesn't really matter what seeding they get or what yep. that, you know last year kind of woke them up like seeding does matter home court very much matters you don't want to go to Utah Phoenix Golden State you know those are not great arenas to play in um, so at least they got a good sense of urgency but you know we'll see how this goes uh, you know the Russell Westbrook problem, you know, it's a problem, but I think, you know, what could help, man, the trade deadline, just getting surrounded with some younger shooters. Yeah. Um, just get a bunch of shooters on the floor, and that can help them alleviate some problems. Uh, look like, you know, Russ and AD did get a little more chemistry last night, but, you know, they just got to they gotta kind of ride this out. They ain't got no choice now. Tell me if I'm crazy for this, but I almost think that Buddy Heald would have been the better move. Um, Probably, Um, you know. I don't know, Buddy Hill's kind of somewhat of a ball-dominant player, too. I'm not sure if he's going on. He's about going on third. Because this was all first things first, and Chris Bruce, so I was going to talk about a little bit, and he was a little skeptical. Yeah. Um, I, I think i gotta, I got to agree. Um, you know, Russ um, is a great player, you know, great, you know, triple-double historic type of player, but his play style, we see, doesn't really translate over to the playoffs, and his shot, you know, it used to be, you know, at least pretty good back in 2016, and that, you know, made him a really good player but you know the shot's kind of fading ever since and just just like with fit and not you know play's not really done translate all into the playoffs all too well and I think that's another worry is when this team gets to the playoffs does the play style change and LeBron says alright I'm going to have the ball in my hands or do they continue to allow Russell Westbrook to play you know the fourth quarter like it's the first because that's exactly how he plays I mean and there's nothing wrong with that he's a guy that goes you know very hard all game but you have to wonder when they get to a playoff atmosphere I mean, LeBron teams usually slow it down, get the half-court set, kind of figure it out. I mean, obviously the Kyrie-LeBron was ISO, 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 but, I mean, they usually slow it down, try and at least take care of the ball outside of LeBron, some of his turnovers because of him with the ball handling. But you have to question if this team gets to the playoffs, are they going to be able to make it work with Russell Westbrook out there? And I'm not so sure if they're going to be able to. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking about it, kind of thinking about Golden State and some of these other teams. They could, like, make it really tough matchup-wise in the Lakers. Absolutely. Kind of force them to do stuff they're not comfortable with. I mean, 
what's to stop the Warriors from when they're running a box and doing a box and well like they did versus Brooklyn? I mean, yeah. you don't have knockdown snipers unless you what, want to put Melo in the lineup and some other guys, and you know, you're lacking defense or whatever there. So they could cause some real issues for the Lakers here some of the other teams in the West that are pretty good defensively. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I completely agree with you. And uh, you, you mentioned the Warriors. They just continue to win, huh? Yeah, you know, we definitely got a pretty big, you know, prove-it-type win, you know. I would hope people would think Brooklyn's a real team, and, you know, we blew them out. Yeah. Um, you know, James Harden, you know, I gave him time. He just he did a little of the same player, whether it was injury rise or, you know, new rule rise. Yeah, I think it's the rules, rise. yep. Yeah, I, I think it's probably a little mix of both. But, yeah. uh, you know, I definitely can't excuse the, excuse the Lord, you know. When he is having a good night, it's a bunch of free throws. So, yeah. I mean, you know, KD, you know, he still looks, I mean, very, very good. I wouldn't, you know, kill people for saying he's the best player in the world. He was having a ridiculously efficient season before, you know, that third quarter. Um, which Draymond did a pretty good job in it. He was on it for you know, most of that third quarter. Um, Steph, you know, he continued that MVP arc. He had a great game, backs it up in Cleveland. Um, even this game in Toronto where he had 12 points, and, you know, Nick Nurse was just um, triple teaming and just absolutely, you know, did not want him to yep. get a good game at all. Anybody but else Poole is going to beat them. Yeah, and Poole and Wiggins had 30. Like, we have guys that, like, this yeah. isn't, this is a, this is not 2020, this is a 2021. I mean, these guys, we, we have a good team now. They have great depth. The so depth. We're yeah. team of old, and I can't wait to play the news out of Clay Thompson. is sounding really good. He, his return is pretty imminent, and so I'm pretty excited. Yeah, no, I mean, you should be. And they seem, like you're saying, w- the depth is one of those things that really kind of puts fear or are the Warriors just going to come roaring back and they're going to get Clay Thompson back here around Christmas time. So, I mean, it- it's interesting. It-, it seems as though they are very much back. Now, let's move to the NFL because, I, you know, it, it may not be as happy for you, but what happened with the Bills? You- g- give me a little bit of a breakdown of that Colts game and what you saw and why it was just not even close. Yeah, the NFL is not really not really a thing I want to talk about. Um, you know, uh, you know, Spencer Brown was out like a best offensive lineman. So again, uh, again, these you know he's not vaccinated, tested positive. You know, it's a, it's truly a competitive disadvantage. You know, whatever you believe or whatever or not, you know, a lot, you know, even with Green Bay, you know, not being vaccinated is costing teams this year, and it's costing the Bills. We have one, one of the lowest vaccination rates in the league, and. Darlow Tule, now, you know, he may have kind of a medical issue to why he can get the vaccine, but one of our best defensive tackles, not in there. And so, you know, we paid the price. It got, you know, Justin Zimmer either. It got ran down our throats. I don't know if that really would have changed if Darlow Tule was even in. And, you know, even the O-line wasn't too much of a problem yesterday. Uh, you know, just Allen not playing like a $250 million quarterback and the defense, you know, just not, you know, it was the defense was messing up in the first half. All this was messing up in the second half. You know, when they had the offense only had three possessions in the first half. You know, when Allen, you know, gave that ball to the defense, it was 14-7. When he got the ball back, it was 24-7. I mean, that says all it is for himself. They are in a big hole. We are in, I can't believe I'm saying it, second place to the New England Patriots. Um, again, though, it's not, it's not, we have plenty of time to turn this around. You could just, everything is in front of you, you know. If New England, you know, could get a win versus Tennessee, then you beat them, you know, and you win versus the Saints, you're in the number one seed. Everything's all, yeah. you know, good and dandy. They lose to Tennessee, you win, well, you know, you get the division back. So, you know, everything is still fine. But, you know, you got to get good quick. We're on a short week here. We're on primetime television for Thanksgiving. Um, we cannot have, we can't walk to bed like that again. 
Yeah, absolutely, and and that's kind of how you view it moving forward. Here, you know, it's it, it's not that big of a deal, but it could become a big deal if this kind of spirals into the next week and the week after that. So you're not wrong. I mean, they got to get right, and I believe that's against the Saints on Thanksgiving night, correct? Yeah, primetime game, and then versus and then it's the Monday night versus the Patriots. Yep, and it's Patriots, and I think it's in it's Tampa, so at Tampa, so what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on the Patriots right now? Um, you know, my thoughts on the Patriots, they got a they got a really, really great defense. Um, you know, as always, you know, Bill Belichick has always, you know, been a great coordinator. I've never took that away from him. Um, and the offense is playing very complimentary. Mac Jones, again, I was, you know, on the Mac Jones agenda from the minute he was name started at Alabama. Um, you know, he's been playing very well for them, for the Patriots. Uh, you know, the offense has his ups and downs. Um, they still got I don't know if they're gonna, you know, be able to do what they did to Cleveland versus a very good defense at the Bills. Or, you know, we've seen what they kind of did with the first Saints in Carolina. But, um, you know, the, he is, uh, he's been the best rookie quarterback so far. He's, you know, beyond his years. He looks very, very good. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I mean, like I was saying earlier in the show, you see the landscape of the AFC, and it's not like any of these teams are unbeatable. So the thought of, you know, kind of some playoff contention here, it's not crazy to say anymore when you look at the opponents and, and everybody kind of has these weird losses on their resume. I was talking about the Chiefs a little bit, and I want to, you know, get up here and yell, oh, they're back, they're back. But yesterday, that, it didn't feel that way. I mean, you're talking about a Cowboys team that was very shorthanded and still kept that game close. Somehow, the defense managed to keep that close the entire second half. Offense just couldn't get anything going. So even as much as it seems, you know, the four-game win streak, maybe the Chiefs will be back here. I don't feel that way either. So the AFC is wide open at the moment. I don't feel as if the Chiefs are back. Um, you know, you know, the Chiefs lovers, you know, will, will say that all they want. The Chargers got a, a pretty good win last night. Their offense looked pretty unstoppable. Um, despite the game was even that close, I turned it off and they had a 17-point lead and they yeah. ended up winning by four. All of a sudden, Big Ben was just throwing it all over the field. Yeah, you know, like, like I said, the Steelers have been my dark horse pick to come to come up to AFC, you know. They kind of remind me of the 2016 Broncos in a way, as in they got a, a tremendous defense. They have pieces on offense to work with. They just have, you know, an old QB and a shaky old line, and that old line has come together quite nicely late into the season. And Big Ben can be good for you for a quarter or for, you know, yeah. stretch of quarters. You know, so they are definitely a dark horse pick to come out to AFC for me. Um, so I've been screaming it for weeks for the Steelers. Um, I'm not surprised. Uh, I'm a little surprised they were able to come to the 17-point deficit. They were, you know, pretty short-handed last night, but they're, they're definitely a scrap. They just got to get into the contest. I think that all these teams just will kind of want to get in there, and you know, they're kind of, you know, sleepwalking throughout the throughout the season or whatever. Uh, you know, just just a, just a weird weird year for the AFC. Yeah, it definitely is. It's definitely a weird year. But hey, I really appreciate you calling in, and I'll see you next week. Yeah, for sure, man. Thanks for taking the call. Have a good one. All right, I will go to break and be right back. Time to pay a few bills, so hang tight with more Shat Chat with Bradley Shatra on WNRI. Recent studies show germs are transmitted at self-service gas pumps. Don't put yourself at risk. Come to Murphy's Full Service Gas, where gasoline is pumped for you while you remain in the comfort of your car. At Murphy's, you pay the same low price whether you pay cash or credit. And free air for your tires for all our customers. Just look for the big green Murphy's sign on Social Street near the Diamond Hill Road intersection. 
Jacob Rollins Sons Construction is a family-owned business that does many type of masonry work at your home, business, or property. From chimneys, fireplaces, brick steps, block work, outdoor kitchens, veneer work, and other applications, they take care of whatever you need done and are known for their craftsmanship and the quality of their product. So give Tony a call at 401-744-4864 and see why more customers trust Jacob Rollins Sons Construction. Trinity Health and Rehab is a skilled nursing facility in the heart of Woonsocket with a long-term, short-term, and recuperating after a hospital procedure and in need of rehab services or in need of respite, we're here to help. They also have a fully secure Alzheimer's unit. Make Trinity Health and Rehab your facility of choice. Call 765-5844 for information. It's springtime, the right time to get an upgrade to your home, or how about that addition you've wanted? Print Construction can help, and all you need to do is call Scott Quinn at 401-996-3038 to set up an appointment to get the process started. Scott owns the small company, manned by him and his son. They'll take care of any carpentry or construction needs you have, taking the utmost care and thoughtful professionalism to any project at a reasonable pricing to ensure your complete satisfaction. Call Scott Quinn this week at 401 996 3038 at Quinn Construction. And we are back with the Shot Chat Radio Show here on WNRI. Phone lines are open at 401-766-1380 or 401-769-0600. So, me and Jamal talked about it a little bit, but not necessarily the direction I was going to take it. And last night, the Lakers game really became an interesting show at one point. So, LeBron James and Isaiah Stewart, a player on the Detroit Pistons, were kind of tangled up underneath a, a free throw rebound. And Isaiah Stewart had LeBron a little tangled up. And it seemed as though LeBron was aggressively trying to get his arm off of him. And in the midst of it, he, he kind of swung his arm, caught Stewart in the face with his elbow, and even a little bit with his hand. So obviously Stewart got up in, in a very aggressive manner, wanted to kind of make sure it wasn't on purpose. LeBron seemed like he was trying to tell him, you know, I didn't mean I didn't mean for that to happen. It was one of those things where I, I think he was I don't think he should have done what he did, but I don't think he intentionally tried to hit Isaiah Stewart in the face. Now, the situation continued to escalate. At one point, Isaiah Stewart kind of faked everybody out and tried to run all the way down the court back at LeBron. Ended up getting held back. They finally got him to the tunnel. He even took a hard left in the tunnel, started sprinting towards the other tunnel to come back out and continue some more. It got out of hand. Let's just call it what it was. It got completely overboard. But the real question today is people kind of are looking at it, was this intentional? All the reports suggest it wasn't. It seems as though LeBron was trying to apologize, tell him that, that, that he didn't mean to hit him in the face. Stewart didn't want to hear that, and that's kind of how it got so out of control. And I also think there's been reports that LeBron James was out there trying to get his phone number, maybe tell him, you know, hey, that this I didn't mean for this to happen. Either way, I don't think the move was intentional. 
And the reason that it got blown up the way in which it did was because of the reaction from Isaiah Stewart. I mean, yeah, Isaiah Stewart. So I just, it, it got a lot of buzz. It got a lot of attention. A lot of people on social media tried to spin it and say, you know, dirty play. But I really don't think that's what it was. I, I, I think he aggressively tried to get his arm off him and in the midst of it ended up hitting him in the face. I can understand why there was misunderstanding, why everything got so out of control and now it's come out that LeBron James will be suspended for one game. Isaiah Stewart, I believe, if I am not mistaken, will be suspended for two games. Yes, two games for Isaiah Stewart, one game for LeBron. And that's pretty surprising because the Lakers' next game is in Madison Square Garden versus the New York Knicks. LeBron will not be allowed to play. So it will be yet again another game that the Lakers have to find a way to win without their star player, their best player player as some people may try and argue with me on that but i still think lebron james is the best player in the lakers heck i still think when he's at his best he's the best player in the league either way i do not think it was an intentional play i understand why he was suspended because at the end of the day it doesn't matter if it was intentional or not he still got him in the face he drew blood it was an ugly scene it, it caused it to get so out of hand and obviously isaiah stewart deserves the two games because of the way in which he reacted i don't think he would have gotten a single game if he had just simply stopped after the second charge at lebron james i mean he got up they were face to face he got pushed back then he tried to charge at lebron james a second time and then after that came the third time so it, it makes complete sense as to why he was suspended as well i understand why he reacted the way in which he did but he took it to an entirely new level that ended up warranting a suspension but like i'm saying at the end of the day i really do not think lebron meant to do it on purpose but you gotta wonder like me and Jamal were saying about last night, it did turn into the Lakers being down 17 at one point in this game to outscoring their opponent 31-13 to in the fourth quarter and sneaking out a win against the Pistons. Now, that's not something I should have to say here. They shouldn't have to sneak out a win against the Detroit Pistons, one of the worst teams in the league, actually the team that had the number one pick in this past year's draft. So they were the worst team in the league last season. Kate Cunningham, actually, it's funny, the number one pick that they did take was, was very much in the middle of all this, trying to get Isaiah Stewart under control. But like I'm saying about the Lakers, this could be one of those games that gets them into a good spot, gets them kind of molded as a team. And because there was a lot of guys sticking up for LeBron. There was a lot of guys that got involved in this. I mean, Russell Westbrook came right to his side. You saw Anthony Davis kind of... He didn't necessarily do his best blocking performance, but he gave an attempt. DeAndre Jordan was very much in the midst of this. Mello, there was a video that came out of him on the sidelines saying that Isaiah Stewart is not going to come out of that tunnel back onto the court. So there was a lot of guys involved in this, and you hope that it could be one of those things that builds them as a team. It kind of brings them a little bit closer together because this was was a big deal. I mean, it, it really was. It, it turned into a big deal. And then they're able to get themselves, their emotions under wraps, make a huge fourth quarter run. Russell Westbrook was fantastic in the fourth quarter, but man, oh man, Anthony Davis was incredible, especially in the closing moments. He had a huge sequence versus Cade Cunningham, and he tried to take a three. Anthony Davis blocked it. Then he got the ball back. He tried to drive to the hoop. Anthony Davis blocked it. Russell Westbrook comes all the way down the floor, dump off to Anthony Davis, and a basket. So... I mean, that right there 
is what should propel some momentum here, should get them in a good spot. But they got to carry it into this Knicks game. If they walk into the Knicks uh, in Madison Square Garden and get blown off the floor, heck, even lose regardless, you take a step right back and, and you're right back where you were. They're 9-9 nine and nine right now and through 18. That They should be much, much better than that because of the talent they have on their team. But it's been a slow start to the season, and they've dropped a lot of games that they should not have dropped. But like I'm saying... You got to hope this is the turnaround. Could this be the game that kind of shifts them into gear, gets them together as a team, and they can finally move forward? So, let's move to baseball. It was announced that the Red Sox have picked up Alex Cora's option, not only for next season, but the season after that. So, Chaim Bloom and Co. have made their dedication, their commitment to Alex Cora moving forward. He will be the manager of this team, and I could not be happier about it. Because let's be honest, Alex Cora does have a blemish on his record. There is obviously always going to be that stain on his resume, talking about when he was in Houston as the bench coach. But outside of that, he has done nothing but put a good baseball team on the field in Boston. Now, yes, that 2019 season was a bit of a letdown. There was a lot of factors that went into that. But overall, Alex Cora has been a dream here in Boston. I mean, he walks in that first season, he gets the championship in 2018, he moves on after that into 2019, obviously, like I just said, a little bit of an upset, a lot of factors going into that. He serves his suspension in 2020, and he comes back in 2021 and does what he did this year. This team should not have been where they were. The expectation heading into the season was, I mean, heck, hopefully they can go 500s, hopefully they can, they can be a decent watch. And they were much more than that. I mean, for, for part of the season, they had the best record in baseball, and obviously they went through a real rough patch, but they still find a way to get into the wild card game. They beat the Yankees and end up making it all the way to the ALCS. I mean, at one point, I turned to my friends during the AL Divisional Series, and I said, it's going to be hilarious if this team gets to the ALCS. Just based off of what the expectations were heading into the season, nobody saw it coming. Alex Cora continued to make a team that didn't necessarily have all of the pieces look like they had all the pieces. And in the playoffs, he continues to show why he is such a good manager. If we're talking about the Red Sox bullpen, it is incredible that he got this team to the American League Championship Series and won two games in that series. Now, the Astros bullpen obviously wasn't anything to write home about, but the Tampa Bay Rays was. And when they faced the Yankees in that wild card game, their bullpen was in a very good spot as well because they had guys who had come back from injury. But the Rays are known as one of the better bullpens in all of baseball. They have arm after arm after arm. The depth is there. And somehow, someway, Alex Cora used his bullpen in a manner that was able to outpitch the Rays bullpen and propel them to the American League Championship Series. He's not afraid to be ultra-aggressive, and that's one of the aspects about him that I've always liked. He gets to the playoffs, and he's not afraid to throw Nate Eovaldi in there for the ninth inning. He's not afraid to throw Chris Sale in there to close out a game-winning or a World Series-winning ninth inning. He's not afraid to do things like that, and it's paid off for him time and time again. He's one of those guys that he, when you get to a point that's really important. When you get to the most important part of the season, he just knows how to manage. He knows how to get the most out of his guys. And everybody has such a good relationship with him. I mean, from the, we've never heard about a rift between him and a player that got to the public. When you see the guys come off the field and the way in which they interact with him, it really seems like he has such a good relationship. And that's got to be the player in him. I mean, he was them. He was a major league baseball player. So he can relate to them on that front. 
He's bilingual, so everybody in the clubhouse has a relationship with him. And it was a no-brainer here. I mean, after what he did in 2021, it was a no-brainer. And I think him and Haim Bloom are on the same page in the respect that they like versatile guys. Haim Bloom it w- brought in Kike Hernandez here to play multiple positions. And at first he was. And then he found kind of a home there in center field because of the hole on this team. But Alex Cora is not afraid to play him at multiple positions. He's not afraid to use the versatility of guys and get some guys rest when they're able to get them rest. I mean, you look at kind of some of the days where Xander was hurting with that wrist in the middle of the season. He was able to insert Kike Hernandez there, allow him to play some shortstop and get Xander the necessary rest that he needed. And nowadays, you wonder, can they bring Kyle Schwarber back? Because that's really going to test Alex Cora as a manager if they are able to bring Schwarber back here. Because he can play the outfield, not necessarily well, but he can play it. I mean, better than J.D. Martinez would. And he can play first base now, not necessarily well, but he can play it. And, I mean, let's be honest, their best defensive alignment was with Kyle Schwarber at first base last season. So as much as people want to bang on Schwarber's defense and how he's new over there, they were their best with him at first base. Bloom has said that before. And he can DH as well. So on a day that you need J.D. to get some rest or maybe you need Kyle Schwarber to slide into that DH spot. J.D. Martinez can play some left field. I mean, they're going to have some pieces to play with here. You just got to wonder if they're able to bring Schwarber back, and that will be the big test for Alex Cora, see if he can continue to kind of get this in a, or, or, or get these guys the necessary at-bats and, and the necessary games to make a difference and, and to be good, to continue, continue to be good. But you get J.D. back this season, they're going to have a full squad. There's Obviously, some questions around starting pitching. You got to wonder how they're going to be able to replace Eduardo Rodriguez because he is a lefty. You got to, I mean, it's definitely a wonder right now. It's one of the bigger questions. And I don't know if we're going to have an answer anytime soon. I mean, the CBA is coming up and that's going to get ugly. Let's see. The COVID season showed me that there's really no hope between baseball and the players at the moment. I mean, they resent both sides, they get petty. And I, I, I think it's probably going to get ugly. I mean, I don't think that's really even crazy to say after what we saw during that COVID season, the way in which that it, it got so drawn out that it ended up only being a 60-game season. But at the end of the day, you got they've got to replace Eduardo Rodriguez. They've got to get help in the bullpen. You can't ask Alex Cora to continue to manage with what was it, two, maybe three arms that you fully trust in a playoff run. I mean... He was playing with house money at one point. He really was. I mean, that's the reason why he brought Nate Eovaldi in when he did. He felt the need that he had to be that ultra-aggressive. He had already used Garrett Whitlock in that game. But enough about the past. It's all about the future. And like I was saying, they, they have the questions in the pitching. But their lineup is going to be fairly similar. Outside of the, the Kyle Schwaber question here, they're obviously going to have Devers back. Bogart's going to be back. J.D. Martinez will now be back. Hunter Renfro. Kike Hernandez. I mean, most of the guy, Christian Arroyo, most of these guys that were were kind of vital and important for this team are going to be right back here. I mean, Alex Verdugo, same thing. So he's playing with the same team. You just, you got to wonder how they fix the pitching and if they can get Kyle Schwarber back. Because if they can, there's no excuse for Alex Cora not to go out there and and kind of put the same product on the field. He's going to have a very, very similar core outside of a few missing pieces. But thank you for listening to today's episode. And hey, before you go, I just want to say to you and everyone else, happy Thanksgiving from the chat chat. <laughs> Love it.
You've just experienced the newest trend in radio sports talk, Chat Chat with Bradley Shatroa. Tell your friends and fellow sports fans to tune in next Monday evening at 7 p.m. for the reason you listen to local radio. This is WNRI, one socket.